Welcome to X-Rated Movies. I'm one half of your hosting team, Matthew Fisher. I'm the other half of your hosting team, Ryan Whedon. And we are two guys that used to date. Now we don't. Now we talk about movies. Oh my God, Matt. This is season 18. (laughs) What a time we are living in here. You know, if you had asked me, say, three seasons ago, (laughs) if we'd be opening up this podcast still in the thick of covid related bullshit i would have said you're crazy ryan why would you even say that the federal government will act and we'll have this wrapped up within the calendar quarter (laughs) yeah i i I, you know it's funny i think back around season i don't know four (laughs) five even we were joking that like this podcast was just uh you know reports from the edge of chaos mm. <laughs> and it was like oh ha 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 yeah but now it's like ha 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 ha, ha. season four or five what are you talking about like trump was elected like after episode three or four. Oh yeah i guess it was more like season <gasps> two that man is naked with a boner you d- d- where there like in the window there oh <gasps> i saw it i saw it <laughs> it was totally a boner <laughs> he is bussing his apartment with a boner <gasps> It's a good sign. It's a good sign for this season. <laughs> oh my god. It's like the the stars align. Omens. Omens. <laughs> wow. What were we talking about? I don't about? even care. My eyes are peeled. I'll keep you abreast of any developments, but wow. That guy was at full mast. We've stopped the pod for less. <laughs> so <laughs> How about that? How about wow. that? Wow. I was like, it was just for us. It's like a shooting star. I don't know if he was masturbating while eating dinner, but like he stood up and had a plate in each hand and a full boner. And mm. if you like your men trim with a bronzed <laughs> complexion, then he would have been for you. Oh, yeah. Maybe this is like a Tampopo situation and he's going to have like a food oh, sex thing. You're right. Thing. Yeah. It's probably just like, coffee and eggs and whatever it else is that they had sex with live shrimp yeah some sort of crustacean under glass yum wow that was a moment thrilling thrilling that was just wow you heard it here first folks i believe that because you know we spent a lot of time talking when we weren't recording and so i'm really (laughs) glad that was on the pod (laughs) yeah that that really aligned just right for us so we were talking about previous seasons and episodes sure and in the most recent uh, season, season 17, you introduced me to your new pet project of brewing kombucha. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, because of that, friend of the pod, Emily Duncan, reached out to me about the fact that she has also been brewing her own kombucha since COVID started. Great quarantine hobby. Yeah, but she said, you guys should look into making hard kombucha. In my kombucha encyclopedia, there's like advanced techniques that include that, but I'm just trying to get the basics down. Well, when she said that, I was like, what? Never heard of it. And apparently it's a thing. I mean, fermentation, it seems to kind of go hand in Even like regular kombucha has a little bit of alcohol, and that's why they have to have warnings on it if it's live. Thanks a lot, Lindsay Lohan. Um, Wait, why Lindsay Lohan? Because when she was arrested for drunk driving, she said it was because she'd been drinking kombucha. Yeah, I also just did mouthwash earlier, so, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. I can't be trusted to drive. So that's why when you buy the, Is like... Is that true? Yes. Okay, Lilo. <laughs> just ruin things for the rest of us, yeah, why don't you? Yeah, she really blew it. 
But as if canyons wasn't bad enough. <laughs> I went out on an adventure and I found some actual hard kombucha. <gasps> Boochcraft. <laughs> This is the only kind they had at the liquor store, oh. but I figured uh, we could try some on the pod just to see what hard kombucha tastes like. Open that shit up. All right. It's ginger and lime, both flavors that I'm, I'm very on board for. There were a couple, they had a couple different flavors. There was like a turmeric and something. Mm, um, I feel like that might stain my clothes. This one sounded the most delicious to me, so that's why I chose this one. So what's the, the alcohol content? Let's find out. 7%, so it's like a beer. It does kind of smell like a mix between kombucha and cider, like hard cider. Like give, oh, okay. like give it a whiff. Give it a give it a good sniff. Oh, yeah. So uh, cheers. Let's uh cheers. Let's try this, and we'll do the gulp, gulp, gulp. <laughs> there is that slightly vinegary kombucha ness to this. Yeah, definitely the cider kick that you're talking about, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, weird aftertaste. What is that? kombucha aftertaste it is kombucha aftertaste isn't uh it? it's a little light on the ginger i thought it'd be a little sweeter personally i get the lime like you know when like when you take a drink of like corona mm-hmm. and you get that lime aftertaste mm-hmm. i'm kind of getting the same thing here like it hits you at, at the tail end it's kind of lime and floorboard <laughs> at the end there but not unpleasant not unpleasant very this. smooth very, yeah like this is something you can easily drink. I would, like, in the sun, like uh-huh. on a porch or something, this could be nice. I could see, I could see eating this with, like, a plate of nachos. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you're on some lanai, and someone comes with a big plate of nachos, and... and Dorothy. And... <laughs> so, I've reached the period in quarantine myself... Uh, I had a dream the other night that at the time was a, like an anxiety dream, and I woke up, and I'm like, that's actually kind of funny. Like, I've been socializing so little that my brain is, like, telling me that I need to do something, even if it's socializing with random people, because I had a dream that I was working in the record store again. Oh, no. Yeah, but it wasn't like I had to, like, apply to the record store and, like, go back to an old job. It's like I went in to visit it, and they didn't realize that I quit six, seven years ago. Uh, they just like, finally I, you're here. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it was like. <laughs> they thought that I was just on like some sabbatical oh, wow. for six, seven years. And so like I get in and there's all this stuff that hasn't been taken care of in six, seven years. And I'm like, oh, shit. Well, I just kind of figured someone else would take my place. Like it's a record store, not rocket science. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, you need to. You need to approve these new hires. This is Josh. He's been here for four and a half years. (laughs) And so I'm like, okay, well, we got to get so I can like sit down and talk with him and sign off his employment papers. And it was like, I had to do like seven of those because like they've obviously hired new people. They're like, we need you to make a new schedule because we've just been doing it day to day <laughs> since you left. No one's taken over, Matt. We just assumed you'd come back. Yeah, and I'm like, I've been gone for over six years. <laughs> like, why haven't you found someone to make schedules or or, or manage the store? It's like, in my dream, it was like really anxiety inducing. I was like, I gotta, I gotta sit down with all these new hires. I gotta make a new schedule. I gotta do this. I gotta do that. And like, 
it, it took me like a day or two, but I started thinking, I was like, that's actually really funny. It never occurred to you in the dream to be like, this isn't my job. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, I guess I got to do this stuff now. <laughs> I guess I have two jobs now. I have to do the administrative work at, at this. And then I go to my day job as an accountant. Like, ah. Uh. Yeah, yeah, that in, would stress me out. For in, sure. in the dream, it was super stressful, but like I kind of woke up, I was like, actually, it's kind of funny. Like, I like the idea that that place was so inept that they couldn't hire someone to like make a schedule or to approve new hires. <laughs> oh my god, can you imagine being an employee? I'm like, am I working tomorrow? I don't well, know. Yeah, I we'll, don't know. We'll we'll we figure it figured out, out in the, the morning. schedule for tomorrow yeah. yet. <laughs> and that's how it is for six years. <laughs> I think after like a week or two of that, I'd be like, you know what? Fuck this place. But it's like, I think my brain was saying like, yeah, retail sucks, but at least you interacted with other human beings. Oh, yeah. And it's like my brain was telling me like, you need to do something to interact with people again. Otherwise, you're going to go crazy. And <laughs> Here's the proof. <laughs> You know when like you, you go on vacation and you're like stressing out about everything and like something you know somebody tells you is like it's okay like we'll be fine without you like you're replaceable actually yeah, like when you yeah. quit a job and like in this case it, it actually wasn't the case it, it's <laughs> no. like you are unreplaceable Matt <laughs> we are dead in the water without we you we needed you <laughs> I don't know how we lasted six years without you yeah it must have been your leadership in the previous time when you were working here. Your leadership was so powerful that it lasted six years after you set your us absence. Up so well for success <laughs> that we were able to coast for six years without you. Wow. Yeah. Great leader. Wow, that dream was a real ego booster. <laughs> so you're not having dreams like that about going back to, to the bar. Bar? B A R? Bars. Ryan's not on board. <laughs> Matt. Ryan. We have to talk about something other than our dreams today. And that includes today's movie. A little movie called Purple Noon. Based on the Patricia Highsmith novel. Who is a name you should know because she also wrote Carol. Which right. was called The Price of Salt. Yeah. As well as a movie we did with the Piece of Pie podcast called The Talented Mr. Ripley. Mm-hmm. And so this is the same story as The Talented Mr. Ripley. <gasps> oh, what? <laughs> but done in 1960 France. This is a very uh, cosmopolitan movie. It's a bunch of French people playing Americans in Italy. Mm-hmm. Which... It, that, Ooh la la. Yeah, that always strikes me as weird because like... They're playing Americans, but they're speaking French. Yeah. That happens in American cinema all the time. Yeah, but... Oh, I am French. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, they at least, like, fake an accent. Maybe they're faking an accent here. I, you know, it's hard to say. It was hard to tell. It is just weird that, it's like, the whole movie takes place in Italy. They're playing Americans, but they're speaking French. Yeah. I think there's some Italian in there, too. I think I noticed A little Italian. bit. Like, I think when they were talking to the locals, it was Italian. I heard some grazies and some pregos. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, the movie's very good. Um, I'll put that out in the, uh, right at the front. But I liked it, too. 
I think the big draw to the movie is the star, Alan Delon. Who You picked this movie just so I would do the carpenter strap, right? <laughs> He's just very easy on the eyes. Mm. Speaking of eyes, he has beautiful blue eyes. I and I said at the end of uh, our marathon that he might be the most perfect man like ever captured on film, but like in this movie only. He's he's kind of shockingly pretty. He He looks like a Ken doll. (laughs) He does look like Ken doll, but he's not like overly perfect. It looks like his body's naturally toned and trim. Like almost gettable. Is that, is that, is it just me? Right. Like because it seems natural, like you almost feel like you could approach him. Yeah. He almost gets more attractive the more devious he becomes. He's so sweaty in this movie too, which <laughs> well, I'm really into. It's all like in like southern Italy like in the summer, like it's hot there. Oh. But I like just at the beginning when he's like showing how well he can fake signatures. Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Oh, he's really cute, but he's not as cute as I remember." But you flash forward like an hour after a lot of shit's gone down and he's sort of traveling like through the marketplace mm-hmm. and like he's got Philip Greenleaf's clothes on and his jacket and he's just like walking through like the merchant Espadrilles. center drills and I'm just like he looks real good here yeah. he looks kind of impossibly beautiful to me here mm. so I don't know like maybe that's me maybe they actually like did his hair differently or makeup differently but it was like the more crimes he committed the more attractive he became to me. See, I think, I mean, the moment where I was like, because I'm with you. At first, I was sort of like, he's cute, but he's not like crazy gorgeous. The moment where I was like, okay, I'm kind of melting now is when he's like combed his hair with two brushes and he's mm, put, he's put mm-hmm. on all of Philip's clothes and he does that thing where he's sort of like playing Philip in the mirror. Yeah. But he like kind of does the kissy face. He's doing the like James Franco New York Times short thing where he's like making out with himself. Arm up over the reflection, yeah. And I just, I was like, I could feel my heart beat faster. <laughs> like the blood was rushing to my head. And I was just like, yeah. I'm having trouble here. It, it really is like the more devious he becomes, the more attracted I am to him in a lot of ways. Good casting, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Alan Delon's been in a lot of movies. He's, he's a very famous French actor. He's still alive. His most famous movie is probably Le Samurai, okay. uh, which is in a movie that I cared for particularly. But there's something about him in, in this movie in particular where he just melts my butter. He's attractive in that, like, everyman sort of way. Like, you know, unless you're into, like, bears or something, this is going to be kind of your type. Like, you can force him into like if you want to be the dom daddy to him you can he can play twink like if you want him to be the dom daddy you can see that totally happening like yeah, yeah. i don't know he's... his scruff profile is just blown up <laughs> constantly probably probably i don't know yeah so i'm just i'm all about him and his attractiveness sort of makes up for there not being as overtly gay themes in this as there is in the talented Mr. Ripley. Right. I So I guess I, I should mention this now. On the episode of the talented Mr. Ripley that we did, I was kind of like, like kind of naysaying the movie. 
upon reflection, like when I was making the episode and actually sort of watching it to find, you know, sound drops and thinking a little more about it, I was like, oh, I've come 180 on it. Like, I actually think that the Talented Miss Ripley is a very good movie. I just wish I'd come to that realization for the episode, but whatever. But I liked it because the ending, which I maligned in the episode, is thematically proper. Like, Mm -hmm. he's... He's staying in the closet, essentially. Yeah. Like, that's what... It literally ends with the door closing. And I'm mm-hmm. like, how the fuck did I miss this? <laughs> and that's what it's about. Like, they're choosing to really focus on the gay themes in it. And this one, I think they're there. Like, especially when... Like, the mirror scene that I talked about earlier. We're talking about him playing Philip, who's the Dickie Greenleaf character in Towns of Miss Ripley. He's dressed up as him... But, like, his reflection is himself. Mm-hmm. But he's still sort of, like, kissing that person. So I love the ambiguity there of, like, who's he playing uh, IRL? Who does he see in the mirror? Like, you don't, you don't know. But it's all one person narcissistically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, inherently homosexual. Yeah. And, like... <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, I hate ragging on my, my people, but, yeah. No, and I, and I loved that. I was like, I was like, I'm here for it. But then that is kind of all the homosexuality we get. Like, you don't get a lot of, like, love between Tom and Philip in I that mean, way. Philippe's not a looker, though, either. It's not like... With Talented Mr. Ripley, you're like, oh, Jude Law is just gorgeous in this, and you can like see why Tom would lust after him. Here, it 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 is more logical that Tom's doing it for the money, and not because he actually wants Philip's attention. Yeah, I got the impression that he was actually doing the whole like killing thing because he wanted to seduce Marge. We'll get to that, I guess, in a little bit. Personally, I just think that he felt that Marge was an easy mark. Mm. In this movie, I think Tom's big incentive is money and class and, like, propriety. Because they do talk a little bit, and Tom's talking about, like, yeah, your father hired me. He didn't used to care for me. He thought I was, like, too lowbrow. But remember that one time that, like, you saved my life, Philip, and it's later revealed that, like, that never happened. But Tom is talking about how, yeah, your father used to ignore me. He thought I was too lowbrow, so it's odd that he, like, chose me for this. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, It is sort of establishing that Tom does want this, like, sort of highbrow respect from, like, the moneyed people in society. And that's not not in the Talented Mr. Ripley movie either. Like, you get that impression, too. But it, yeah, in this movie, it seems like that's the main motivator. And he's almost, I guess, pansexual would be the term. I don't want to say bisexual because bisexual, I think, still implies that like you're in it for people. Pansexual just see, makes me think you're up for anything. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if there's mm-hmm. a, a solid definition, but he seems more pansexual to me. Like, whatever is coming his way he's he's okay with mm-hmm. wasn't there a movie we did recently where we were talking about something like this where it's like sociopaths don't necessarily uh have a sexuality they're just like gonna fuck whatever they can to get uh what they need i feel like it's a lot of movies we've done <laughs> like most movies we cover seem fuck. to have that i feel like we covered this somewhere where we were talking about how like if you're some sort of psychopath 
sociopath. You Maybe don't really have a sexuality. Parts? No, I don't know. I know we've covered it. At some but point. I, I mean, yeah, th- that would be right. Like he doesn't really seem that interested in Marge until you know, flash forward, he's framed Philip's quote unquote suicide, mm-hmm. left all the money to Marge. And then tries to seduce her so that he can have the money as well. And I think he only does that because earlier in the movie, Marge is calling Philippe. Tom is the one that's talking to her, but he's pretending to be Philippe. Mm -hmm. And she's trying to make him angry. And she says, I slept with Tom. Right. And so it's like he picks up like, oh, this is someone that I have a chance with. Right. Like he kind of learns like, oh, she's sexually attracted to me. This is someone that I can use in the grand scheme of things. Right. I don't think he was actually ever interested in her until he... Learned he could manipulate her to to his whims. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Real fat, you mentioned the like murder-suicide scene. And I'm going to say, between the two movies, this one is is harsher, in my opinion. Okay. Because in The Talented Mr. Ripley, he beats him with the oar, Mm -hmm. and then he's stuck with him in the boat for a while. But then, like, we don't spend as much time with the corpse as we do in this movie. Like, the amount of time we spend after he gets stabbed... Like he has to get wrapped in the in the in the cloth, cloth and, and then he the ties anchor. him up and then yeah and the anchor and then throws him over and just like uh you really like sit with the fact like he murdered this person and now he has to deal with it. And like I don't feel like we get that same amount of gravity of like I've killed someone. And yeah. like it's weird because like after he kills him, he like goes and eats. <laughs> He's not panicking, but he is nervous. Mm-hmm. But one of the things, and I realized this on this rewatch, was that part of what makes me like this movie is that it feels very realistic. It really feels like they're on this boat and it's just actual people interacting with one another. And it's because the director, René Clément, he doesn't cut quickly. Like, he lets scenes really play out. Like, there's a lot of things like when Tom's on the sailboat post-murder and like the the sail kind of turns and like the part of the sail hits him on the head and he falls into the water. Yeah, and he has oh, to climb back so, on. That was scary. I was like, "Fuck!" And now what's he gonna do? It's just th- that these scenes are allowed to play out. Like I never doubted for a moment that these are actual people on an actual sailboat reacting to the sailboat in a real way. It there's no like Hollywoodness to this. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if I watch, you know, the talented Mr. Ripley. Or even Dead Calm. I I thought a lot about Dead Calm while watching this, too. Like, neither of which are bad movies, I'd say, but, like, they don't necessarily feel as naturalistic as this, where this really feels like it's people on a boat reacting to the actual, like, whims of the weather, the temperament of the boat itself. Mm -hmm. And that adds a level of tension that I think those other two movies don't have. Yeah, okay, I agree. I was thinking about how when we did Dead Calm, I was kind of disappointed in it Mm -hmm. and was feeling like this wasn't the movie I thought it was going to be. And I think part of it is because 
it might be what you're saying like there's an artifice level to it like yeah they're filming on a boat and that looks good but it's like it doesn't feel necessarily it just, it like it cuts a, a little too quickly just you, the, the way that tom kind of like gets knocked onto the dinghy like i mean that's, it, it's scary it's, it's actually alan delon like on the sailboat like kind of being pushed onto a lifeboat that's actually like floating independently of the sailboat and that and this is after he's been like left in a dinghy to just float yeah which that was upsetting yeah and it's like you really understand like why he would be out on that dinghy kind of being like i want to kill philip yeah philippe like That's the I'm going to kill him. That's like the, that's the one where it's like, yeah, this is too far. You've yeah. gone too far. Yeah. Uh, but which we don't get in the talented Mr. Ripley. I'm sorry, I'm just going to keep comparing them. But Well, I mean, they're based on the same book. <laughs> like it's the same story, but because the director kind of lets these scenes unfold and it seems like the people are actually interacting with these surroundings, it gives this sense of reality. Like like these are actually people on a sailboat trying to manage it and it makes it look like you know managing a sailboat's not easy which is something that i don't think is that comes across and say a dead calm or a, a talented mr ripley and that, compared to the talented mr ripley this a lot more of this movie takes place on a boat yeah than that movie like yeah. there are boat moments in that movie but like this one is like on water and like there is something about being in a boat on the water that like adds a level of tension because mm-hmm. it's like this is your survival vessel, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like everything that happens on here well, when they, is important. When they lose him on the dinghy, like when when they oh. see that the rope is disconnected, it's like fuck. Like how do we find? <laughs> There's him? nothing but water around us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's scary. And if you were on the dinghy, it's like fuck. What do I do? Uh. Like, I don't know, just the the fact that it feels so real. And, like, my theory is, like, when a movie feels this real, it actually means, that, like, a lot of work went into making it feel this way. Okay, yeah. Like, it's not just, like, some guy with a camera on his shoulder. Like, they had to do everything that they could in, like, the cinematic arsenal to make it feel real. Because it's, like, there had to be a whole film crew on that sailboat. Oh, yeah. Like... There's a lighting crew. There's a cinematography crew. There's gaffers. There's another. Sound there's people. probably another boat right next to it filming yeah. and stuff. And so the idea that it feels this real is very impressive to me. Yeah. But there's other points in the movie that the scene just really plays out. Like even in the beginning, when they're sitting at the table, and it's like right after they pay the bill, like at, at like whatever little coffee shop or or patisserie they're at. <laughs> They get up, they run to that blind person, they buy the cane. Which, wow, I've learned a lot about your character just by the fact that you're like, I love that cane, I'm going to buy it from you as a blind person. Uh-huh. And, oh, how are you going to get home? Here's an extra whatever amount of money, take a cab. 10,000 lira. Oh which, my God, that which, is such Which a... I have con- currency conversion notes on this movie, but... I mean, that um, is such a character shading moment. Like, it tells me a lot about the fact that you're rich, that you don't care that you're taking a cane from a blind person. Well, because he gives him cab fare. He's like, you can buy another right, cane. Yeah, here's, here's, and here's a cab fare. Like, And the fact that the blind person goes along with it. I don't know. It was, there was a lot. Anyway, I'm sorry I didn't interrupt. But well, no, no, no. I mean, it, it is good character dressing just because it shows that it's like, 
he's just more interested in the whim of the moment than in being a decent human being. He doesn't even keep the cane. Yeah, no, he doesn't, no. Ah! It's crazy, it's crazy. But, I mean, it's a one-shot from, like, when they pay the bill, they stand up, they walk away, they run into the blind man, they buy his cane, they keep going, they run into that lady, they pretend to be blind across the street, and they get into that carriage. That's all one shot. That's a one Yeah. Oh, shit. And that's what I mean, like, Rene Clement, like, seemed to, like, really, like, withhold cutting, and there's just a bunch of, like, long one-takes after um, Tom kills Freddie Miles, and I think the shot's really interesting, like, because it, it's Tom carrying Freddie out of the, the apartment. Uh-huh. Oh, I but noticed it, this one, yeah. It just shows their feet, and it's like, Freddie's dead. The final nightmare. And so his feet are, like, toes down right. as he's being dragged, but it's a long shot from, like, him being picked up and dragged all the way through the apartment door. Then it's another one shot from, like, being dragged all the way down the stairs and out the front door of the apartment complex. And yeah. it's like These are all oneers that they're doing, and they're interesting too. Like the camera doesn't move a lot. Like it might pan to like follow the characters, but like when they're in the apartment and it's just showing their feet, which, and that illustrates like, oh, we know that Freddie's dead just by the posture of his feet. And we know that, that he's a bigger person than Tom by the way that they're struggling with this. Right. And then like the whole way down and then like Tom hears someone and there's like the panic and you like, they get outside, he does the cigarette thing, like, putting, like, the lit cigarette in the dead body's mouth. You know, he's trying to get him in the car, and those two cardinals come walking by. Like, these are all, like, very long takes. Like, the average shot length in this movie is much longer than your average shot length for, you know, a 1960 movie. Sure, 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 sure. And so, yeah, just Rene Clement, like, he seemed really... He, he wasn't into doing a lot of shots. Like, he really waited to cut a scene. Yeah, and I mean, we talked about this on the rope episode, but like wonders can really easily create tension. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to make your audience feel uncomfortable, I think wonders is an easy way to do it. Mm-hmm. Not that they're easy to make, but like it's a good tool to turn to if you want to create tension. And this movie has it, and I think that's what they were probably going for yeah that was yeah. um so i did a little little math it's hard to do currency conversion to italian lira because they don't use lira anymore but it looks like it took a lot of lira to make a dollar oh and those bills they're, yeah they're huge well a lot of countries do like the bigger the bill the more it's worth so like bigger- i know but those were like eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper well, yeah he was getting like hundred thousand dollar lira it was Notes. bananas. You can't fit that in your wallet. I'm just no. saying. It took some math to get this, but Tom was being paid five thousand dollars American USD uh, in 1960, which works out to be forty three thousand seven hundred sixty seven dollars American. But the blind person that they're gonna buy the cane from. Uh-huh. He's like, just give him 500 lira or something like that. But Philippe is like, oh, I only have this $10,000. It's like a $50 bill, right? Uh, it's 10,000 lira is a dollar and three cents. <laughs> Which, with inflation, is $9.02 in 2020 oh, so money. I only have a he 10. Gave, yeah, he, only, he gave him like a $10 bill, essentially. Oh, my God. Just give it to him. What did he pay for the cane, for fuck's sake? Well, he paid like 20000 or something for the cane, so he gave him like 20 bucks for it. 
Oh my god. But yeah, so I was, but I was like, okay, the premise of the movie, both this and Talented Mr. Ripley, is that Tom Ripley is being sent here to retrieve Philippe back. Right. And I was like, well, why don't you just stop putting money in his bank account? Duh. Like, isn't that why he's out here? Because he has this, like, endless source? And I don't know. I was I was confused because they show Philippe's bank statement in this movie. Right. And, like, he even withdraws money. And they're like, your current balance is this. Right. And so on his bank statement, it said that he had 9 million... 528,996 lira. Lira, yeah. That only equals up to $5,813.55. But as we know, $5,000 is like $42,888.40 yeah. in 2020 money. Like, that's a lot. Fifty thousand, like fifty-one thousand dollars. That's like you know a year's salary for like some people. Like yeah, but if that was just sitting in your bank account, you're like, I could live here for a year. Could you though? Like, I guess maybe if the cost of living in Rome was like low at the time, I guess it was like not too long after World War Two. They maybe the cost of living was cheap out there, but it's just like fifty thousand dollars isn't enough to live like a fat cat forever. Like. No, if but it's were, enough to live off of. But if you were the dad, why don't you just not make any more deposits into the bank and let them run out of money and like come home? I with mean, his tail duh. His it legs. seems weird that you're like, here's five thousand dollars, bring my son home. Yeah. Come on, Patricia. <laughs> just stop putting money in that bank account I mean, if you want them back. And you're done. And you're done. So okay, I'm just gonna ask you point Blake at this point. I guess this is maybe my big question. Do you like this or the 1999 version better? It is a tough call because I do like the 1999 version quite a bit. But overall, I think I like this one more. Really? Yeah. That's surprising to me. Yeah, I know. This one's less homoerotic, but ultimately I find Alan Delon more attractive than Jude Law or Matt Damon. Well, duh. (laughs) This one also is more heisty than the talented Mr. Ripley. When he's first, like, forging the passport, and it shows how he's, like, mastering his exact signature. They spend a lot of time on that. And the opening credits are all about signatures. Yeah, which, oh, yeah, Which I is. liked. I liked all that, you know, continuity. Well, I'm big into forensics. Like, we did the watch party with friend of the pod, Jessica Baxter, and we did a movie that was about forensic, forensic pathology. pathology. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I love this stuff. I can eat it up. But I think it's more that I just kind of love forensics because i love con movies and i love heist movies and in talented mr ripley it was just that he had a knack for imitating these things and here it actually shows the pathology of it like how he does it and like the way that like he you know got the projector and projected the signature onto his like wall and he would like post paper up and copy it large scale and learned to replicate it on a small scale uh-huh. the way that he put the putty on uh the the imprint so that he could replicate it like i fucking eat that shit up that stuff is super interesting to me and so the idea that like they dive in deep to how he's doing the copying that's so much more interesting to me than the stuff that they did in talented mr ripley okay 
I think after watching this one, I land more in the talented Mr. Ripley camp. Okay. Because... Roger Ebert's on your side, so... I think that movie focuses more on the character of Ripley, Mm -hmm. whereas this one focuses more on the plot noir elements of it. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Well, that's not not a bad thing. I don't don't want to sound like I'm maligning. I'm just like... If I have to rank them, I'm going to rank the other one better. And if you go back and listen to our Town of Miss Ripley episode, you might think that I'm a weird schizophrenic who <laughs> doesn't trust myself. But believe me, I after going back and watching it and after listening to the episode and us talking to it, I realized like, no, this is a great movie. And after watching this one, too, I still feel like that one has more intrigue to it and Honestly, it was easier to follow, and I don't want to make like language barrier. I don't want to rest on language barrier, but I do think that there is more spelled out in that movie that makes it a little easier to follow. That's no, that's totally true, and I and I think part of it is because it was meant for mass consumption. Like, sure, this was meant for a mainstream American audience to be able to follow, and this one probably not so much. Like this was no. probably meant for like art house goons. In like France in 1960, right? And or just off the French New Wave. Yeah, so. and I don't know if Rene Clément is formally part of the French New Wave, but he does take some techniques. Like when Tom sees that projection machine, he sees it in the store, and the shot is like on oh. the camera. He walks in, and then it just cuts to the camera being gone, gone. and you he's know. walking out with a package in his hand. You know, I actually I have that same note. I'm like, this is great. This is great filmmaking. Thank you. Yeah. But it is very French New Wave to do something like that. Yeah, do that hard cut and and to break up, like, how the the chronology of the movie is going. Like, Mm -hmm. it just does, you know, same camera shot, but hard cut to 10 minutes later. Yeah, and something's missing. Yeah. So, yeah, easy. Like, and that's very, very French New Wave. Right. Uh, And there's a couple little cuts like that where it just jumps ahead 10 minutes, even though it's in the same setting. Right. But... To me, because it doesn't hold your hand, this one just feels like a little less Hollywood. Like uh, this one asks a little bit more of you. It does. I also don't like the ending as much on this one. Or I did, and then I I started reading about it and thinking about it, that, and it bugged me. That's the one area that I would agree with you on. Because it's like. When it ended, I was like, oh, that's a really good ending because it it makes it like it ends basically with the police saying, Tom, we need to talk with you Mm -hmm. after they've discovered Philip's body because it was stuck in the rotor of the boat. Right. What a shocker. I I didn't know that was coming. I was like, oh, my God. I almost feel like it should have ended there because the imagery like, okay, so rewind a little bit. Tom kills Philip, wraps him in a a cloth, whatever, ties an anchor to him, throws him overboard. Right. But he's on like a a cable of of sorts. And before he he gets thrown overboard, he's like still tied to the boat. He's like dragging him and and then he cuts cuts the the cable. Right. And what we don't see is this cable gets tied to the the rotors of the the hull of the ship. The motor, yeah. So Tom is selling the boat for money. Right. And I do like it the way that it's it's done in the movie because it shows him 
selling the boat, but before you even see the word or read the word boat, they're talking about selling something and Tom wants an advance, but the office is filled with imagery of boats. There's Mm. shots of boats. There's models of sailboats. And so it doesn't actually say that he's selling the boat, but we know what he's selling because there's all these images of boats in the office. Oh, that's funny you say it because I missed that, but I pr- I do remember thinking like, oh, we're already talking about the boat. Yeah, and they eventually say like, oh, like we can't sell the boat at this price because it's too late in the season. Mm-hmm, like they eventually mm-hmm, say mm-hmm. it, but it's like we already know what they're talking about because there's images of boats all in this office. Sure, sure, sure. Which is one of those like, mwah, like directing things like, you're not talking about selling the boat. Like you're talking about selling something and we know what you're talking about based on the imagery the production in the design. scene. Yeah. 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 So at the end of the movie, the boat's being sold. They're inspecting it. They're towing the boat up for inspection. And as they're towing it up, like, they see the, this cable. There's this cable tied up in the rotor. What's that about? And, and then they pull it, it out. And like, it's <gasps> the body of Philip, which totally unravels. But like the imagery, you know, a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Like oh, there's boy. a cable tangled in the rotors of this boat that's dragging a the corpse. body yeah. to be visible to everyone that just unravels all the hard work that Tom has done. And he's jumped through some hoops. Oh yeah. I can see why you'd want to go one step further to have Tom being called with like the police like in the background but i almost kind of wish that it stopped somewhere between those two scenes to like imply that the police knew that tom has been assuming the persona of philippe without actually showing it well and that's what makes the talented mr ripley so interesting is that like he gets away with it and then he has to live with his crimes. I mean, in, in Talented and, Mr. Ripley, he, he has to make the active decision between do I enjoy personal fulfillment by being gay with this person or do I get societal fulfillment by assuming the life of Dickie? Mm-hmm. And he chooses the societal life Close as that Dickie. closet door. So he's like killing his lover as the closet door is shutting. So... It's gayer. But that movie also like allows him to get away with his crimes, which I think is kind of an interesting ending because that forces Tom to live with his choices. Mm-hmm. And like the movie ends with him making a horrible choice again. And, and that, that plays in because like and, Patricia Highsmith wrote more Ripley novels. Right. And it's it's him just having to improvise through his whole life. And it, but this the, ending implies that he doesn't get well, away Well, that's the with thing it. is like, okay, so, I mean, just because the police are calling to talk with you because they found a body doesn't necessarily mean that you are guilty and they're going to convict you. But there's something about the way that it's presented that makes me think like, oh, yeah, he the, he's done. Like, mm-hmm. he's, he's been caught. And like, I don't know what it is. I couldn't put my finger on it if you asked me. Maybe I'd have to watch it again. But like, there's something about the finality of that. Like he's caught that feels so like bow on a present that that makes me a little upset. I'm totally on board with you. Cause like I would have preferred something that was a little bit more ambiguous or something that maybe they were on to him, but. Or almost like, like you say, like it should cut earlier. I think it should go a little further. Like give him the, 
Give uh, us get, the scene where they're questioning where him. He gets out of it. Yeah, somehow. and then let him go. And like, because they question him, and he and he still don't have enough evidence. You're totally right on that. Like, I think that like, if they would have called him in, and like the whole audience was like, "Well, he's done for," and he somehow weasels his way out of it, that would be an interesting. That would ending. be like much more satisfying. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it just ends on like just not quite the right. It's like on one side or the other of not being right. Yeah. And it. it no, bugs you're right me, there. So. I think. Yeah. I think as a movie, it's just shot more interestingly than Talented Mr. Ripley. Just the long shots, the way that it really feels like Alan Delon's just doing all this stuff. It feels very naturalistic. It feels like this is actually happening. Like it really creates that illusion that this is reality. I don't question it really in, in my eyes. Like it just all looks like this is plausible. Where. Talented Mr. Ripley, as good as it is, it just it feels like a Hollywood movie to me. Right. It's easy. It's more digestible for American audiences. It's an easier pill to swallow. Yeah. I don't want to say that they're apples and oranges. This isn't like Mildred Pierce the miniseries versus Mildred sure. Pierce the movie. Yeah. But like they are not quite the same thing. Like one definitely focuses on like the gay elements and the character of tom ripley and one focuses more on the mechanics of what it is to be tom ripley yeah like, though that that's a different movie like we're, we're talking different movies at this point yeah and like just because this movie like it focuses on like the con and the heist aspects of it as opposed to like the character of tom like you know, in Talented Mr. Ripley, he gets a backstory. Right. Like, we see his origins, and then we, like, see the, the private investigator confronting him, and it, it focuses a lot on Tom as a character, where here it's just, like, it really focuses, like, he's a scoundrel. Like, he wants class, he wants prestige, he wants the money, and that's really the only character development we have on it. But yeah. I'm more drawn to sexy people doing a long con than I am about like scrawny little theater kid trying to work his way into high society, you know? Fair. I, I mean, I was a big fan of Talented Mr. Ripley. Like I'm a, I'm a big proponent of it. I'm not going to speak ill of that movie, but it's just when it comes down to the two of them, this one just hits the buttons that I like. It's like sexy man doing a con heist. Like that's just, I'll eat that all day. What a sexy man. <laughs> yeah. Now on Delon and this, he's just, yeah, he's walking through that marketplace in Philippe's clothes. I'm like, oh, God, he looks so good. Yeah, it was fun. I liked it. And it's French and there's hot people. I mean, that's your cup of tea. Yeah. Well, Matt, speaking of French movies. Are we going to talk about what's coming up next week? Yeah. I'm uh, a little inspired by your French choice. This yeah, week. you can't be outdone. <laughs> so I was going through my list and I'm just realizing I have a lot of French movies ready mm. to go. Okay. Locked and loaded in the chamber. And uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to play a little game to choose which French movie we're going to do next week. Oh, my God. Past Le Buck. In a way, what I'm going to do 
I'm gonna call this one Votre uh, Choisir. Mm, uh, That's probably wrong. I didn't think about the title. Uh, so. I'm sorry, Mr. French Literature Major. Oh, are you having trouble understanding what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, that's an important and integral part to this game. I can't even understand your English. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you three French titles. Okay. And you're going to pick which one of those three you want to do. I like it. So. I also like the idea that the title of this game is unintelligible <laughs> in French. I think that's also integral to I this messed whole it up. Thing. I didn't think. I didn't think. No, 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 you gotta run with it. It, Okay. uh, Honor thy mistake (laughs) as an intention. Hey, look at you. Okay, so. Choisy number one. J'ai perdu mon corps. Mon corps. Okay. Okay. Choice number two. Un couteau dans le coeur. Okay. Wow. Okay. Okay. And then choice number three. Portrait de la jeune fille en feu. Which Can one I hear those? those one more time? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So, choice number one. Uh-huh. I took French in high school for three years. So. Oh, excellent. Good for you. Uh, choice number one. J'ai perdu mon corps. J'ai perdu mon corps? Mm-hmm. Choice number two. Un couteau dans le cœur. Un couteau dans le cœur. And then choice number three. Portrait de la jeune fille en feu. So, wait. Are these French films? Or are these regular films that you've just translated the titles to? These are in French? all French films, and these are the French titles. I will tell you the American title once you choose one. Was one of those Portrait of a Lady on Fire? I won't say unless you choose it. I almost feel like the last one was Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Could be. I'll even show. If you want to read them, I have them written. Oh, yeah, I would actually like to read them. Yeah, okay. Okay. So, Je Perdu Mon Je. I something my corpse. <laughs> okay. One cock two, the French director, so a cock two Don Le Cor. One is totally a portrait of a lady on fire. Which one? <laughs> the last one. The one that, that has the word portrait in it. Well, it could be. I don't know. You won't know unless you choose it, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna make you upset. I'm gonna do un cotro dans liqueur, which I'm assuming is some sort of uh, orange liqueur drink. Well, Matt, you have chosen knife plus heart, <gasps> which is one that you've been telling me I need to see. I know. Uh, honestly, all three of these are movies I've been like, watch this, watch this, watch this. Last and one's Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Right? I won't say, but yes. What's the first one? I won't say. <gasps> I'm going to save it for another day. God but damn it. So I, Knife Plus Heart is what we're doing next knife week? Knife Plus Heart is what we're okay. doing. Okay. I mean, you were real excited about this movie when you it's, saw it. Listen, I'm going to place a bet. I'm going to bet you're going to love it. Well, that's Who's betting against you? I'm just saying it's a, it's a gentleman's bet. I think you're really going to like this movie. Well, no. Everything you told me about this movie, I was like, this is right up my alley. It's 100% up your alley. All three of these movies that I picked are within the last two years, and I'm just like, French cinema right now is kind of killing it. Anyway, yeah, so perfect. Yeah, and actually, this might be a good stepping stone into a certain uh, festival that we like to do every year, so. Is it horror-related? It is, a little bit, yeah. (gasps) Not quite. It's more in the thriller territory, but. Okay, uh, but still, that's a stepping stone to, as the French say, 
horror. <laughs> they do. They do. Uh, anyway, it should be fun. Knife plus heart. It'll be good. Okay. Uh, let's plug our drunk. Get the fuck out of here. On the Sorted Talk Book of Coin. That's right. We have a Patreon that is vibrant, beautiful. Thriving. And we need want more. Also, we're going to be doing like a whole Patreon blitz in December. And it's going to be Patreon guided. Right. Uh, so get on board now because we're going to be sending out information on it very very soon and you're like, gonna have control over what that if yeah. you're a patreon you're gonna have control over that and we also we're gonna start naming you guys we're gonna put a poll up real soon and uh you want to get in on that too otherwise you're gonna be signing up for a name you might not have voted for right so i would just say like if you've been thinking about it do it sooner than later because if if you want to say in what we talk about especially for christmas movies Now's the time. Now's the time. And also, if the $5 a month tier is too much for you, email us. I'll set up a tier just for you lower than that. I'm happy to do that. Any amount you can pay is great. And if you are a subscribing member right now, I would suggest uh, talking to a friend. Ask them to just pay $1 a month to us because if everybody did that, that's that's an extra... Even if they don't listen, it doesn't matter. Like, who, who can afford a dollar a month? Mm-hmm. Like, it may not make a difference to those people that are doing it, but it makes a big difference to us. And so... We appreciate it. Yeah, so, I mean, we're going to be doing a bunch of Christmas movies. We're going to be trying to reward our Patreons in the, the giving season. So uh, we want as many as possible before December. Exactly. Outside of that, if you don't want to support us monetarily, or you can't, which understandable, it's difficult times, we appreciate all the reviews and star reviews we get on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Audio, Overcast, wherever you get podcasts. That really helps. And um, honestly, I'm not even upset if you just copy somebody else's review and put hey, it in your own. You put Jimmy Stewart Blumpkin in a review. We're proud about it. You're done. Yeah. You're done. It's so easy. If you want to reach out to us, talk to us. We're on Twitter, X Rated Movies, uh, Facebook, Rated X Movies. You can also email us, x.rated.movies at gmail.com. And go to our website, xratedmovies.com. You no longer... Yeah, it's no longer a thing. That Squarespace you, changed their settings, like, recently. Yeah. Now all our episodes are available. On Apple Podcasts. Up yeah. until 300 episodes. So you've got, like, two years. <laughs> and then, who knows? But you can listen all the way up to episode one on Apple Podcasts now if you want. So all episodes in the past that said you had to go to our website to listen to stuff, that's that's null now. Yeah. So anyway, next week when we do Knife Plus Heart, keep reaching for that rainbow. 